Well, good morning, everyone. So good to see you on this summer Sunday and worship at Ingleside. I'm really glad that you're here today, one and all. And thank you so much for worshiping the Lord through song. And now let's worship through the word, shall we? If you haven't done so already, I want to invite you to take your listening outline from your worship guide, get a pen in hand, and open your Bibles, if you would, to the first book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28. And we're going to look, beginning there, at some verses in the New Testament together today. And let me just say, as we're preparing to hear the word here in the worship center, I want to say a warm, warm welcome to everyone who's in our contemporary service today, as well as those who are joining on the live stream. I'm really glad you're here this morning, as well as those who are joining in on TV as well. We're glad that you're here too. Now, before we dive in to the message of the morning, I just want to express my appreciation and gratitude to so many of you for expressing sympathy and condolence and love and support for my wife Beverly and me and our family in the home going of her mother just a few days ago. Beverly's mom passed away on June the 11th and I want to say thanks to Pastor Justin for preaching last week in my absence while we were in North Carolina for her memorial service. Uh, Some of you know that Beverly's dad passed away a little less than six months ago on Christmas Day and in the Lord's providence her mother passed away uh, just a couple of weeks ago and we, uh, we have grieved along that journey because we miss them and we love them. Uh, but we have grieved as people who have hope because both her mom and her dad were devoted followers of Jesus. And because of that, we have great confidence that they are at home with the Lord today. And so I want to say thank you. Uh, thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your care. And thank you for your prayers. I know many of you have walked similar has. I also want to say before we dive in today that I'm not unaware of the Supreme Court decision that was handed down on Friday of this week. And yes, I know that many of you will join me in rejoicing that our court corrected a decision that was wrongly and egregiously decided almost 50 years ago. And we're thankful for that. I will have more to say about that next Sunday as a part of our July 3rd Freedom Celebration. So I hope you'll plan to be here and be a part of our celebration of freedom in Christ and the freedoms that we have in our country. But today, I wanna, I wanna share a message that I've entitled Baptism and following Jesus. You know, baptism ought to be a subject that comes up with some regularity in any healthy spiritual diet in the teaching of a faithful church. I went back and looked, and the last time I addressed this topic on Sunday morning was actually three years ago, pre-pandemic, back in June of 2019. And so I have had a sense all week that this is the direction we should go today, and I think the message could be for so many of us. 
You see, if you're already a follower of Christ and you've been scripturally baptized, today's message ought to just be a, a reaffirmation of that and a confirmation that the Lord is pleased with that step that you've taken. If you're a mom or a dad or a grandparent today, you're going to have the opportunity likely to have a conversation with one of your children or your grandchildren as they hear the gospel and respond and they're going to have questions about baptism. Today's message is going to help you answer those. And I have prayed today that in every service, and for those who will listen on TV and online, that there will be some who will listen to today's message from Scripture and will say, you know, I need to do that. I need to honor the Lord. I need to obey the Lord. I need to take that step of baptism and declare my faith in Christ. Now, I don't know how it is for you as you read the scripture, but whenever I read the Bible every day, like we're reading through Isaiah right now in chapter a day, right? And uh, whenever I read the scripture, sometimes I'm reading the truth, a song will just come to mind and it'll just run around in my head for hours or for days based on that scripture. And so for instance, in Isaiah chapter nine, when we read that great messianic prophecy that says, for unto us a child is born unto us, a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. Man, I could just hear the majesty of Handel's Messiah putting those words of scripture to song. I just carried it around in me for days. Or like uh, even this week when we read Isaiah chapter 40 that begins, comfort ye, comfort ye my people. That great tenor solo that's in the Messiah as well. We played it out loud at my house. It just rolled around in me uh, for days. Or when I read of the Lord's faithfulness in scripture, a hymn like great is thy faithfulness. It was Beverly's mom's favorite hymn. And we've sung it a lot over the last two weeks to remind ourselves of God's faithfulness to us. Or whenever you read about God's provision and his protection, you know, a, a majestic hymn like Luther's a mighty fortress is our God comes to mind. Well, this week, as I've been preparing uh, this message on baptism, another song has come to mind. I have to say that it's not nearly as majestic as those. In fact, it's a country song that re received a Grammy Award in 1975 when the Oak Ridge Boys performed it, and it's called The Baptism of Jesse Taylor. Do you know that song? I can tell you don't. Well, let me sing it for you, okay? <laughs> I'll only give you the chorus. It's a story about how a town ne'er-do-well, who really, he, he was just a, uh, a cane raiser. That's a good way to say it, is it not? He just raised cane and just was not a good guy. And God, by his grace, transformed him, changed him, saved him, redeemed him. And the chorus in this great song of wonderful theology, the baptism of Jesse Taylor, says, they baptized Jesse Taylor in Cedar Creek last Sunday. Jesus saved a soul and Satan lost a good right arm. They all cried hallelujah 
when Jesse's head went under, because this time he went under for the Lord. And wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You don't have to applaud. I know it wasn't very good, so you don't have to do that. But I hope you will remember Jesse Taylor's baptism because it tells the truth that I want to try to underscore with a few questions from Scripture today. And that is the Bible teaches that when God by his grace transforms your life through the gospel, the way you ought to show that is being baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit to the glory of God. That's the heart of the message today. So let's ask some questions. Across 30 plus years, uh, questions come my way about baptism over and over again. So let me just answer them. You got your pen ready? We're going to make a quick run. And by the end of the message, I think you you will see why it's timely. So let's ask question one. A lot of times folks ask me, Pastor Tim, why do y'all make such a big deal about baptism at Ingleside? And here's the short answer. It's because Jesus did. Jesus made a big deal about baptism. And we want to make a big deal about things he made a big deal about. You say, well, where is it in Scripture? Well, it's in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Uh, These verses begin, they're going to put them on the screen, they're on your outline. They begin, and Jesus came and said to them. I want you to read these verses aloud with me. Would you read them aloud with me? Let's read them aloud together. Here we go. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So just before he ascended to the Father, Jesus said, I want to make sure you guys are clear on the mission. The mission is for you to go with the gospel and make disciples, followers, people who trust me and believe me and follow me of all people from all nations. And then he said, and this is the way you do that. When they hear the gospel and repent and believe, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, is that the end of the mission? No, it's just the beginning. Instead, that disciple-making mission involves teaching them to obey, and that's a lifelong process, all that he has commanded us. Do you see on your outline, we say at Ingleside, our mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. It comes right out of Matthew 28. And part of that mission, it's not peripheral, it's not extraneous, it's not secondary. Part of that mission is to baptize those who follow Jesus. That's the reason why almost every Sunday that you come to Ingleside, you either see somebody being baptized live in that service or a replay of somebody who was baptized in another service. We make a big deal about baptism because Jesus did. Here's question number two. Look at it on your outline. So the question normally arises, 
Who should be baptized then? We can answer that biblically in one word. Write it in. The answer is believers. Believers should be baptized. Now let's put a few more words around that. What that means is those who have heard the gospel, repented of their sin, and personally trusted Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord are the ones who should be baptized. Now, when you read the New Testament, you see this pattern again and again. Let me give you just one example, may I? It's in Acts chapter two, verse 41. It's at the end of the sermon, Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. And he called people to turn from their sin, trust in Christ, and receive forgiveness and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And look at what verse 41 says. It says, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church about 3,000 in all. And when you read on through the rest of the book of Acts, you just see that pattern again and again. People believed and then they were baptized. They heard the gospel, they repented, they believed, and then they were baptized. And over and over again, that pattern is there. So because we believe the scripture, we say those who should be baptized are believers. Now, some of you would say, well, does Ingleside teach uh, child baptism, adult baptism? Should it be that every child, when they turn 12 as a class and as a group, should be baptized? And the scripture says no. The, the Holy Spirit's work in every person's life is unique. A boy or a girl may hear the gospel when they're 10 years old and genuinely repent and believe. If so, that's the time for them to be baptized. It may be that it's not until they're a teenager. It's may, it may not be until they're in their 20s or 30s. The oldest person I've ever baptized was in their 80s. You see, it's not about your chronological age. It's about your spiritual condition. And when God, by his grace, changes your heart, then you should be baptized. It's a way of saying I follow Jesus. So first question, why make a big deal about baptism? Because Jesus did. Second question, who should be baptized? Believers. So the third question is, so should infants be baptized, Pastor Tim? And the biblical answer is no. They should not. Why? Because they have not yet heard the gospel, they've not yet repented, and they've not yet believed. You see, infant baptism is really an expression of the faith and the commitment and the love and the desire and the hope and the prayers of the parents and the church. But the Bible says baptism ought to represent the faith of the person being baptized. So no, we don't baptize infants. And I would just note that the Bible has no command to baptize infants, nor is there an explicit example of infant baptism in the Bible. So that leads to question number four then, especially if you're a parent or grandparent today. Look at it. It's a really good question to ask, and that is, so how old should a child be to be baptized? Or let me make it even a, a more personal question for parents. You might say, how will I know when it's the right time? Parents have often said to me, look, I, I, I don't wanna push my child to be baptized too early, and I think that's a good instinct. It's unwise to have your child be baptized too early. 
But then sometimes parents say, but you know, I don't want to discourage them by waiting too late. Let me just say, in 30 plus years of pastoral experience, I cannot recount the number of times people lament to me the fact that they were baptized too early when they didn't know what they were doing. And I've never had anyone say to me, I regret that my parents had me wait a bit before I was baptized. We ought to go slow, but we ought to also recognize the spiritual requirements. So what are they? How old should a child be to be baptized? Here they are, write them in, they're three. Old enough to hear the gospel and there to be evidence of genuine repentance. Every person who's baptized, regardless of their age, ought to have a sense of the Holy Spirit's conviction of sin, a sense of sorrow for that sin, and a sense that they need a savior in order to be forgiven for that sin. The second requirement, write it in, is every person, regardless of age, who is baptized, ought to have a credible testimony of faith. Now, it doesn't mean that they have to speak in the language of a learned theologian, but it does mean that they ought to be able to say that they trust and follow Jesus because he died for their sin on the cross, was buried, and rose again. And then here's the third requirement, and that is evidence of newness of life. So when repentance happens and faith is there and parents and grandparents, you see the change in your child. You see spiritual hunger and spiritual understanding and spiritual sensitivity and a desire to please the Lord and to obey you. Newness of life, even in a child. When those three things exist, it's a good indicator that it's time. Across the years at Ingleside, we've learned to say that when these three elements are present and the child's desires to be baptized and the parents say it's time, and the pastors say it's time, when all those things line up, then it's time. Well, those are the first four questions, and that leads to a fifth one. So today you're saying, well, okay, uh, I have repented and I have believed. Uh, I've not ever been baptized, so if I get baptized, how should I be baptized? Well, the answer is by immersion, I-M-M-E-R-S-I-O-N. It means all the way under the water. Why? It means because uh, the meaning of the Greek New Testament word translated baptize, it's the word baptizo, literally means to dip or to plunge something underneath the liquid like under water. Now, I am aware that some others suggest that You can baptize by pouring or baptize by sprinkling. So we measure every idea by the Bible. Is there another New Testament word for pour? Yes. Is there another New Testament word for sprinkle? Yes. But in the Greek New Testament, the words for pouring and sprinkling are never used to teach baptism. The biblical way is to be immersed. So you might say, well, why is that? Well, here's the answer. Write it in, number two. Immersion best conveys the essential meaning of baptism. And here's the essential meaning of baptism. Whenever a person is baptized, 
like the person you saw baptized on the screen in this service earlier. It is a way of saying, I am trusting Jesus and by faith I have been united with Christ, write it in, in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. So every time you see someone baptized, you ought to say, that's a picture of Jesus dying for our sin, being buried, and being raised again. It's a picture of the person being baptized by faith, trusting Christ, their own death to sin, their own burial, and their resurrection to newness of life. You say, well, where is that in the Bible? Well, it's in Romans chapter six, verse four. Look at it, it's on your outline, it's on the screen. I want you to read it aloud with me. A really important verse. It begins, we were buried. Are you ready? Let's all read it aloud together. Here we go. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Do you see the primary symbolism of baptism? Death, burial, resurrection. Now, there's a secondary symbolism, and that is because you're uh, immersed in water, there's a symbolism of your sins being washed away. But now let me ask you a question. Does the water in the baptism, uh, baptistry over there, does that water actually wash away our sins? What is the answer to that? The answer is no. Is that holy water in that baptism over there? The answer is no, that's Okmulgee River water. Now, it's been through the water treatment plant. As far as I know, it's clean and healthy, but it's not holy water. It's just water. And so it symbolizes spiritual cleansing through the blood of Christ. But that's a secondary imagery. The primary imagery in baptism is death, burial, and resurrection. And you know what? I mean, just think about it. If we were to take somebody under over there in baptism and hold them under, not not lift them back up, hold them under, what would we have? We'd have a death. And that's part of the symbolism. The old sinful me has died with Christ. And now by the power of the Holy Spirit, I am raised to walk in newness of life. Oh man, that's the gospel in a picture every time someone is baptized. So that leads to question number six. Do you see it? So in light of what the Bible teaches, why would a person who has genuinely repented and believed not want to be baptized? Why would someone resist being baptized if this is what the Bible teaches? Across 30 years, there are three answers that I think appear more often than others. Would you write them in? There are three. The first one is fear. 
The first one is fear. The second one is pride. And that pride operates in a couple of ways. And the last one is family tradition. Family tradition. Fear, pride, and family tradition. Let me, let me talk about each one briefly. So how does the fear one work? Occasionally, not often, but occasionally I talk with someone and, about baptism and they say, you know, I hate to say it, but I'm just afraid of the water. I, 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 just, I just don't like going in the water. And I think, well, man, do you ever go to the pool? Did you ever go to the beach? You ever get, jump in the lake? I mean, what, but I don't say that. I use my pastoral calm and I just uh, say, well, okay. And tell me about that. And they describe it. And then I say, well, can I just give you one statistic? Across 30 years, we have baptized hundreds of people and we haven't lost anybody yet. And so I am quite confident that if you'll be baptized, you're not going to be the first. You don't have to be afraid. We're going to get you back up. It usually is something deeper and that something deeper is pride. Years ago, I was talking with a lady about this, and she was an older lady, and she'd walked with Christ for some time, but she had never been scripturally baptized. And I said, so what's the holdup? She looked me dead in the eye, and she said, I don't want people to see me with my hair wet. And I thought, Really? Jesus died on the cross for you and his hair was wet with the blood he shed and you're telling me that your vanity and pride that someone would see you with your hair wet is keeping you from saying, I follow Jesus? I'm glad to report that before the Lord took her home to heaven, she was baptized in obedience to the Lord's name. Pride works another way. Maybe you've been a follower of Christ for years, but you've just not been in a church that taught biblical baptism. And so Satan comes to you and he says, you know what? If you get baptized now, people are going to think you're just now becoming a believer. Uh, They're going to wonder about your life all along the way. You can't do that. You'll be embarrassed to do that. And I just want to say that's the enemy talking. If you've not been scripturally baptized, it'll honor the Lord if you do. And family tradition, I don't know what your grandmama and granddaddy did or said, but I know what Jesus says is more important than any of our family traditions. So that leads to question number seven. Is baptism by immersion as a believer necessary to obedience to Christ and to membership at Ingleside? The answer is yes. Um, At this point, somebody always says, well, what about the thief on the cross? He he went to heaven and he wasn't baptized. And I want to say, yeah, that's right. And you know what? If you die right after you repent and believe, you're going to go to heaven too and you get a pass. But if you don't die within minutes of believing, you ought to be baptized. And so that is just the truth. And then number question number eight. So what I do if I want to be baptized at Ingleside? You've been listening to this message today and you say, I really need to do that. Well, look at it. It's on your outline. Get the conversation started with one of our pastors. Personally, just reach out or by emailing baptism at ingleside.org. 
What will that conversation be about? It'll clarify your understanding of the gospel. And we'll want you to share your story of turning from sin and trusting in Christ. If you get baptized in one of our blended services, make a video testimony of how Jesus has changed your life. Uh, we encourage that, but it's not required. It's optional. And then schedule the date of your baptism. Um, the next opportunity to be baptized at Ingleside is baptism in the lake. And that occurs this Wednesday night at our church picnic. And I'm told that already between 20 and 30 folks have said, I'm going to be there and I'm going to be baptized. And I'm wondering if you don't need to be among them. Now, some of you say, I, I just can't picture that. I don't know, I don't know what's going to occur there, and I don't know what's going to happen. Well, let me invite you into it. We've got a 30-second video. Watch the screen, if you would. rejoicing on the night of our church picnic. I think our heavenly father is smiling. Why? Because we're celebrating in our fellowship, our unity in Christ. We worship together. We celebrate the Lord's Supper. And then person after person of all ages is baptized in Jesus' name in obedience to his command. I just can't help but believe that some of you need to say, boy, I need to do that. I know it'll please the Lord, and I know it'll be good for you. I hope you'll engage me or one of our other pastors in conversation after the service, or email us, and then be part of that group that gets baptized this Wednesday night. Let's pray together. Father, Thanks so much for teaching us today. And I thank you for so many in this room who've confessed their faith in believer's baptism. I pray for some others who need to do that. I pray for the 20 or 25 or 30 or more who will be baptized Wednesday night. I pray great glory will come to your name through that. And Lord, I pray then that all who are baptized would have a passion to please you and love you and follow you and learn to obey you. Lord, we want our lives to reflect your glory. So help us take this step of obedience if we never have. We offer this prayer to you in Jesus' name, amen.